Hello there. General Kenobi! Welcome to Jedi of the New Age. I'm Jenny. I'm Maria. And I'm Joy. We're three Star Wars obsessed friends who decided to record our discussions so you guys could listen in. Today we'll be talking about our individual rankings of the Star Wars saga films and compare and contrast our opinions. So start number eight and we should probably start number eight. Do you want to go like Jenny, me, Joy? Just because that's how we introduced ourselves? Yeah. Or not. And then Jenny could tell why she likes it or dislikes it the most. And then I would. And then Joy would. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the the movie I have in eighth place is The Phantom Menace, obviously. I think we all did. Yeah. 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 The movie I also. Yeah, we all have Phantom Menace. <laughs> all right. Why is that? Well, the Phantom Menace is super boring. That's why. <laughs> I think the Phantom Menace. The whole the thing fan. is boring until the very end. And Jar Jar's right. in. Oh, yeah. And Jar Jar. Jar Jar is a flaw and is, like, automatically a flaw in every work he appears in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Except, for that, except for that one scene you mentioned of the Aftermath trilogy. You know? Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one wasn't that bad, actually. I, w- I was like, seriously, Jar Jar, why are you here? And then once I was reading it, I was like, this is actually isn't that bad. Because uh, let me think about what happened. So, like, Jar Jar is basically in exile from Naboo. He's not allowed in the- there anymore. He caused the empire to, like, rise. And so he's basically like a... He's a clown-type like clown. figure. He's like a clown, I guess, for, like, a bunch of kids. And he's kind of an outcast. He doesn't really understand what he did. He just knows that no one likes him anymore. So it's kind of sad. And I actually kind of felt bad for him, even though I hate him. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that the Phantom Menace, uh, I think we should, like, kind of have a dialogue. First off, I think we should have a dialogue about this since um, all of us put Phantom Menace as number eight. We can just, you know, talk about our opinions in no particular order, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I thought that The Phantom Menace, I agree with you about the climax, but I also thought that it was important for setting up uh, Anakin and Padme's dynamic, I guess, and it set up their characters, because we get introduced to Anakin, who's, like, as pure as you can get at this point. He's just a child and stuff. And then you also get a glimpse of Padme's character, which is as, like, a strong woman who's, you know, doing something... For- nice for her people or doing something good for her people in the midst of like this this occupation and stuff like that and you can tell that this is um this is an important part of the story because for example jenny jenny thought that there's nothing to padme's character before seeing the phantom menace you know Mm -hmm. yeah like you you thought of her as just somebody who was just made to be anakin's love interest and stuff like that and so I think in yeah. that regard, Phantom Menace was important to setting up their characters, 
Also, it was important for uh, understanding why, why the Trade Federation wanted to kill her off so badly in Attack of the Clones. Um, and then, of course, the climax and Darth Maul kind of gives foreshadowing to, like, the Sith rising again and stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Other than that, other than that, I think that you could, like, after uh, on your first viewing, definitely watch Phantom Menace if you're going to watch the prequels. It does give important context to the prequels. But if you're doing just second or third viewing, you can throw it out and still understand the story well. Uh, I haven't seen Phantom Menace nearly as much as the other prequels. So, yeah. yeah. Anything yeah. else you want to add? <laughs> the first My time that I. Uh, the first time that I watched the movies, I didn't watch The Phantom Menace, <laughs> and because I skipped it, a lot of things in the prequels were confusing. Um, mm -hmm. Just because there's a lot of setup to, in that movie um, to different things that the payoff is that uh, that are paid off in episodes two and three, and yeah. I just really understand i didn't understand like where anakin came from because like my introdu my introduction to anakin was his conversation with obi-wan in the elevator oh, in so i was like wait how did these guys know each other what is going on so like mariah had to like explain to me how they knew each other and stuff um because we skipped the phantom menace because it just yeah when we first watched it so i think the phantom menace is good for that I think the overall consensus is that Phantom Menace is a necessary evil in Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's that's such a horrible thing to say about a Star Wars film, but it's true. Yeah. I'd say my main issues with the Phantom Menace are Jar Jar, because he's just... He's, a, <laughs> he's essentially the first um, all-CGI character, and they might just had to remind us of that by making him pretty much a cartoon. And then yes. also... Also, how um, Anakin has a crush on Padme, it's kind of like you having a crush on, um, like, your teacher. She is so much older than him at this point, and it gets almost creepy. I Just don't... because, like, especially when he's, like, obsessing about it five, ten years later. You know, like, kids don't well, keep their first grade crushes ten years later. Well, uh, I think that, I disagree that Anakin had a crush on Padme at least. Uh, in the sense that he did in Attack of the Clones. Uh, I think that uh, Anakin's crush on Padme uh, was kind of like a childlike enamorment, I guess, if that's the right term. It's like, it's kind of like whenever kids say to their mom, this is a kind of a bad analogy, but it works. It's like whenever kids say to their mom, Mommy, whenever I grow up, I'm going to marry you. Uh, obviously, you know, you're not going to grow up. Obviously, the mom knows you're not going to grow up to marry her. But it's a way that kids show affection in that way. And I think that that was what Anakin had for Padme whenever he was young. And I think that, that as he grew older, he slowly developed, like, a romantic crush on her. Especially, like, whenever he was a teenager and stuff like that. And then whenever whenever she, he saw her again, it kind of, like, exploded. Yeah, that, that's how it came across to me, was that it was, like, something that grew over time. And at yeah. first, it was more like a, it was, like, more like a mother-son relationship, was which is kind of oh, yeah. weird when you think yeah. about it. But that's, that is how it came across more to me. Yeah. So, uh, are we ready to move on, or did you have more to add, or? <laughs> no, I'm ready. Yeah. 
All right. So number seven for Jenny. Uh, number seven is Attack of the Clones. Hmm. Okay. Under go ahead. Uh, for number seven, I actually am tied between number seven and number six. I have Attack of the Clones and The Last Jedi. For me, I have The Last Jedi as number seven. But Jenny, what? you can go. Go, Jenny, you go first with Attack of the Clones, and then we'll then we'll go ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, Attack of the Clones was extremely confusing to me on the first viewing. Oh my I had, gosh. I had no idea what was going on whatsoever. So I just kind of, it's just very confusing to me even like today, just thinking about it, because so many different things happen. Good and heaven. the romance is very cringy sometimes, but at the same time, I, I do enjoy the movie, even though there's oh. a lot of. Have, oh my. I have a lot but of problems with it. But um, it is, at the end of the day, I do enjoy it. The issue with Attack of the Clones for me was also the script. I think that this, that Attack of the Clones was good in almost every regard, except for that, first off, the plot was too complex. I know that this is, yes. partially, due to, this is partially due to the retconning that took place, but I was telling, I remember writing a Wattpad comment about how I would have written the prequels, and I would have, and I personally would have written Grievous as the one to have attempted the assassination on Padme, because then we combine characters and we don't have so many we need to follow, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Plus, yeah. of course, he's, he's like the perfect person to plan an attack like that. But, um... Another thing, yeah, Attack of the Clones, other than the complex plot, it was the script. The script fluctuated from super good to super bad. Um, I think the best Anakin and Padme romance scene is probably the Meadow Picnic, where she's wearing the hair buns. And uh, where she's wearing the hair buns with the yellow netting and stuff. I I love how I can identify the romance scenes based on her outfit, so it's beautiful to me. Um, and then the worst scene is probably the firelight scene where he's like, you, my heart is beating, hoping it won't become a scar! Okay, that was, <laughs> but you get, you get the point. Yeah. yeah. All the dialogue, especially in the love scenes, it just seemed kind of awkward. Not in all of it, but especially with the Trade Federation areas and the love oh, scenes man. and interactions between uh, Padme, Anakin, and... Uh, sometimes even Obi-Wan. It felt jilted like it hadn't been worked out far enough. So the dialogue right. really needed improving. On and the, the plus dialogue, side, yeah. On the plus side, there was great action scenes. Like, all the sequences were amazingly timed. Um, also great world building, like, yes. for Camino and stuff. I also... <laughs> this is kind of superficial, but Padme's outfits... Completely. Yeah, like... And then... The the thing with Attack of the Clones is that it's either super good or super bad. And I think even the cringy dialogue, especially like with the firelight scene, that would have most of it would have worked fine as like an internal monologue, like Anakin's thoughts. The issue is thinking about internal narration versus like external dialogue. Um, there's a lot of background to this, but something you will notice if you uh, I, I was mentioning this to y'all earlier. Um, some. Something I know to everybody knows is that they read any Star Wars novels written by written and from the point of view is grievous is that his internal monologue is very flowery, but his dialogue sounds normal, and so that's kind of the thing with those types of dramatic characters is that their internal monologues might be really flowery and they might use a lot of metaphors like the personification of their heart beating and hoping it, the kiss won't become a scar and stuff like that. That would work fine in internal monologue. 
not so much in dialogue. So that's that was yes. my, that's, those are my thoughts. Um, yeah. All right, so Maria, you can go ahead with the with your with your ties. Okay, so yeah, like I said, Attack the Clones. Um, the great action scenes, the costumes are amazing. The love scenes definitely needed work, and dialogue needed work. Um, for the Last Jedi, I just had the pacing. It it felt really off. Um, like it kept going from high high profile action scenes in one shot to the next shot. Um, the next shot would have uh, uh there would be. I'm sorry, I'm getting a phone call. You were saying? Okay. Uh, the pacing in The Last Jedi, it just felt very off. We would go from a high-profile action scene with Kylo to a very slow scene in Canto Bite, like just walking around the uh, thing. And then you would jump to Luke and Rey training, and it just didn't flow together. There was no There wasn't a solid transition. Um... The fight scenes were amazing. I will give them that. They were all great choreograph. Uh, yeah. I would definitely say my favorite lightsaber fight scene is Rey and Kylo's uh, one against the Red Guards. Yes. Yeah. Um, totally. I agree with your statements about The Last Jedi. My final consensus on The Last Jedi is that it is half good and half not so great. Um, I love anything with Rey and Kylo in it. I thought that I think that their story is one of the best that Star Wars has ever produced, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. I think that Kylo has the potential to be a super awesome character, and he already is in some sense. His character arc just needs to be completed, and then yes. he'll and then he'll be like in the Hall of Fame for my favorite Star Wars characters if they do his character yeah. right. My yeah. issue with my, my issue with with the movie was Canto Bite. Um, I think that that was a lot of people's issue with the movie. Um, I didn't like Canto Bite because it, um, it, first off, it went on way too long. Uh, second off, there were a lot of things in it that just didn't make sense. Like, uh, I remember, like, the code, there just happens to be another coder around, or the, another hackers or whatever in the same barn as where yeah. Finn and Ryan were hanging out yeah. for the night. And then there's also the there's also the fact that it see, it feels like there's a bunch of SJW crap shoved down our throat throughout Canto Bite. Um, now that now that these can be argued against, sure. Um, for example, it seems like they're talking about income inequality and stuff like that. Now it depends on whether uh, Star Wars is a capitalist society or not. And I don't that I don't know. You could argue for or against that in this case it just seemed like she was saying the rich are the rich are oppressing the poor and stuff like that now obviously these rich people are in a corrupt business and stuff like that so that's not that's not so great either but and then there was also the animal cruelty thing now jenny and Thank i have had you. many okay jenny and i have had many arguments on this topic <laughs> i object to animal cruelty at any time i don't <laughs> think animal cruelty is a good thing I think that animal cruelty is a sin, and it's awful. That being said, I don't think that it should be inserted at a random point in the movie or used out of context. For exa As an analogy, Ray is an orphan, okay? Ray is an orphan, and orphan or orphaned children are obviously a huge issue in society. I object to, or to kids being orphans. I think all kids should have parents. Now, that's just not possible at the time, obviously, but... If they randomly insert it into the movie without any sort of 
buildup that Ray was an orphan, we would rightly say this is out of context and it shouldn't be here. And it's the same thing with animal cruelty, except animal cruelty is twice as obnoxious out of context because it's also a leftist idea. Um, now, obviously, it's not exclusively leftist, but it's like an idea held by the far left. So that's what I don't like about The Last Jedi. Um, I do, I like the Luke and Leia stuff. I thought that Luke was almost in character, but not quite. Yes, or that was minor another issue with The Last Jedi for me. He just didn't seem quite there. He was almost there, but they just needed one more refining of his script, and then he would have been yeah. there. But it was just kind of jerky. He would he would jump from being an angry old man, and then he suddenly decided, oh, I'm going to go save the galaxy. And right. even though there was the apparition with Yoda, it just didn't seem to flow for me, the transition. So Yeah, it, I didn't have an issue with the Yoda scene. I just had an issue. He's just almost in character, but not quite. But I think I can forgive that because... Uh, there are other characters in Star Wars that are that have huge character changes between like the works they appear in. <laughs> yes. yes. But uh, and I'm fine with it. So I think I can forgive Luke for that. So I think I'm fine with it. Um, so number six. Um, six for me is Revenge of the Sith. Hmm. Interesting show. Do tell. <laughs> Uh, so, no, like, it's okay. Don't criticize. It's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, all, my three lowest ones are all prequels. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm so triggered by that. It's okay. Go on. Uh, there's some, there's some cringy moments in it, but, uh... Nobody denies that. The reason that it's lower is mostly because it feels very rushed. Like, they just <laughs> wanted to fit too many different things into one movie and it just kind of is overwhelming because it's like the whole entire thing is one big ginormous climax and there's like barely any time to just breathe yeah but at the same time it's a very powerful and emotional climax and it is definitely the best prequel on wall street by yeah. like leaps and bounds it's the best one yeah um i kind of disagree with that and obviously i'm biased because revenge of the sith is my favorite star wars movie to me, Revenge of the Sith is intended to go quickly. It's intended to go by quickly because, like you said, the entire movie is, like, a really big climax. Now, obviously, in the first... You could argue that in the first half, there's a bit of a shaky a shaky storyline. I think they could have done better at, like... I don't know. So, there, so Cleaning up the mess that was the first 30 minutes. It was kind of a jumbled mess. Like, you're introducing so many new characters. Kind of, yeah. And I think that the, let me, th let me think of how to say this. Revenge of the Sith tried to do this thing called braiding the storylines, and it didn't do it super well, in my opinion. So in the first quarter of the movie, you have several storylines going on, okay? You have the battle, you have the, um, the battle of Coruscant, then the escape of Grievous, rescue of Chancellor Palpatine, finding Grievous, Anakin and Padme, Anakin the Chancellor. That's like five different storylines at once. And they mm -hmm. didn't do a good job of kind of condensing those storylines into one, I guess. Yeah. Braiding is fine, but you don't want to have too many strands in your braid or else people are going to get confused. That's, that was a problem in Attack of the Clones. They had they tried to do braiding in Attack of the Clones and it just didn't work super well because the, the strands were too thin or too fine, to, so to speak, in metaphors. So I think that you could concede that. 
for me, the main it, for me, I only have a couple of issues with Revenge of the Sith as a whole, and it, it's probably due to nostalgia. First off, uh, time gap. There's like four or five months between the Battle of Coruscant and the Battle of Utapau. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, probably not. Um, it's like forty-five, four to five months, and the only and, and the only way we know this is because Padme's belly keeps growing during that time. Yeah, there's like literally yeah. no indication at all through the entire movie. I never even right. realized that you pointed it out to me a couple weeks ago. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. And then obviously there's some cringy lines like unlimited that sort of thing. <laughs> I hate that line so much. It's yeah. so that's, that's the worst line in all of Star Wars. Nobody denies that. Um, like, I want, yeah, I want that. <laughs> to be like the most powerful thing in the entire universe you know like super dark and super like just <laughs> i want it to be super powerful but then it just something about um emperor palpatine's performance is just very cringy to me i just Pal- i just like uh i can't quite get into the moment because i'm just like i can't deal with how crazy you are and i think part of it is that for throughout the whole prequels um, Palpatine is very down to earth and he's very logical and he seems very like normal. But then suddenly right. in this movie, he's suddenly a crazy madman. Exactly. On the dark side. And there's no transition between this. Like he can have like an alternate personality, but we need to right. have some sort of like indication of it before this. Right. I and totally just, agree. Yeah. He was like a kindly scheming old grandpa. Like that's what he was. And yeah. he didn't have any crazy madman in a in him at all and then they introduce it in the third act and it was just so off-putting yeah yeah um and then there's the issue of of grievous showing up out of nowhere i think that that right that was fixed by i think that that was mostly fixed by clone wars although obviously i'm not a fan of grievous and clone wars never have been um and i just and now for people who don't watch clone wars that might be a big issue fine go for it but for people who like get into the expanded universe, I think that that issue is mostly fixed in Clone Wars, but that's just my take on it. it there's also the fact that uh, Lucas, I think it, I think it was Lucas, I was one of the guys who was uh, developing Grievous's character for the movies. They were saying that he's he was intended to be like a mustache twirler, like the Saturday morning villains, you know, um, mm-hmm. and so he was intended to be kind of that villain like you could turn on any episode in a series and watch it and you would instantly know that this guy is like the mustache twirler so that's why he was introduced in revenge of the sith as if he were already like a major character who we already know about uh, i don't think that was a good move by them personally but uh yeah. who, might, who might argue with that you know um again do you think that was fixed in clone wars although for people who don't watch clone wars that's a fair criticism to make um other than that, Revenge of the Sith was fine for me. Main, it's just a for me the main issues are a couple of cringy lines and then uh, and then the time gap between Coruscant and Utapau. So that was my take. Mine is Attack of the Clones, but we've already discussed that. So is there any is what about you, Maria? Mariah? No, Whatever. it was uh, there was a tie Attack of the Clones and the Last Jedi. Oh, oh I got so. it. Okay. Yeah. So um. Okay. My number five is going to trigger everyone <laughs> because it is a new hope. And oh. I know that it's super low and okay. that's very mean of me. <laughs> but I mean, the real reason is that I just love all the rest of the movies so much that it's really hard for me to push yeah. 
to for me to rank the rest of them. But A New Hope mm-hmm. just kind of drags for me. It's kind of slow. Right. Um, I think it's because like, the long shots, a lot of the shots are just longer, like two seconds longer than I'd like them to be. And it just kind of like, it loses my attention a little bit. Camera footage is also a bit shaky in A New Hope. That's that's yeah. a, a fair criticism. Now, a New Hope mm-hmm. is number four for me. Number five for me is actually Return of the Jedi. I think that the subplot with Jabba the Hutt wasn't, you know, it wasn't very thought, it wasn't very thought out, and it didn't really contribute a whole lot to the rest of the film. It didn't have much thematic value and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, obviously, yeah. the the second half of Return of the Jedi is awesome, especially the scene that we all know, uh, the scene with Vader and uh, Luke and Palps. Uh, so that that's my that's my favorite of the. It's my favorite part of Return of the Jedi. I just think that it was a little weak at the start, and you know that's just that's just the way some Star Wars movies are. You'd argue the same thing for yeah. the Last Jedi and Revenge of the Sith as well. Yes. Yeah. For me, number five was The Force Awakens. Uh, I really? liked it because yeah, I liked it because the fan service, but how they handled <laughs> handled Han was just kind of off putting to me. Like even more so. Uh, Luke was more so, but this was my first like first time seeing Star Wars on the big screen, and he Han was not at all how I remembered him. He was discouraged right. and just a broken down old man who acted like he never shot Chewie's bowcaster before. Yes, he had. <laughs> he had shot it multiple times in the other movies. That really bugged me. And then also, I loved how he was a father figure for Ray, but then he was I don't know. He pretty much did a crappy job of show on kylo and i just didn't like it <laughs> yeah um, I think, oh also I can the rehash of the death star that really bugged yeah. me yeah okay that bugged me that bugged me as well um i okay that was another criticism of return of the jedi that i forgot to mention why the heck are they is there an, another death star like didn't yeah. that kind of realize that death star thing didn't really work out the last time the force awakens is actually second for me Whenever I whenever I saw it, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Ray was like I I instantly liked her. I really I still really do like Ray. I think she's awesome. Um, yeah. So that's those are my thoughts on the Force Awakens. I agree with your criticisms though; those are fair. Yeah. Also, I can... um, sorry. Uh, you can go ahead. So also how <laughs> they. Uh, they lose the, the rehash of the Death Star. I'm okay with that in um, Revenge of the Return of the Jedi, sorry, um, because it's just showing the Empire's power, and they they really don't think the Rebels are gonna be able to do it again. They think it was a lucky hit, and because of the inside job, they're yeah. like, well, we have the resources to do it. There's not gonna be the inside job to mess it up, and it was just a lucky hit. There's no way it's gonna happen again, and it's and at this point in the movie, it's functioning already. Like they're about. They don't even know the rebels are there, and then they go and start decimating their ships as soon as they realize it. And so, I'm fine with the rehash. There is showing the Empire's power and wealth. I just don't like it in Attack of the Clones. It's like liter, or sorry, um, the Force Awakens. I'm forgetting my notes. Are you all right? Yeah, I don't like it in the Force Awakens. It just felt like they were trying to repeat something we'd seen twice already, and it just wasn't fresh and new. So. Well, yeah, yeah, I so- just like stuff that's only there for fan service. Yeah. Um, I think that fan service is good, but it needs to also have a purpose to it yeah. in order for me to like it. Um, you can tell whenever they're trying to be desperate, and I don't like what Disney is doing right now and ignoring the prequels. That's making me mad. 
because I think there's so much good stuff they could do with the prequels. Now, they haven't completely ignored it, obviously, since Clone Wars is coming back, but, you know. Yeah, but Clone Wars is kind of different because a, a, a lot of fans really like that, even if they didn't like the prequels, so. That's, yeah, that's, that's true. That's uh, true. But the thing with Han, because uh, Mariah said that she didn't like uh, Han in The Force Awakens, and I can totally get um, fans being, like, startled with Han's character because he's just, he kind of has reverted back to his old self. And, like, at first you think, well, now they're just kind of pushing nostalgia because, like, we see old Han and he's doing the same old things. But really, I think that, I think it is part of, partly nostalgia, but I think, really, it's about showing how uh, things have gone wrong and we don't quite know what it is yet in the force awakens until like the like in the middle of the movie but uh yeah yeah but han uh oh man i lost my train of thought uh um but the point is to show how in the prequels darkness um led to like the rise of darkness led to suffering in the galaxy but I think in the, in the sequels, they're trying to show how it, having just light and no darkness is just as bad. Because if you have too much light, then darkness is going to rise. And it's not just a coincidence that in the prequels, uh, for a, a thousand years, it, there was the New Republic and the Jedi, and there was no Sith. And then suddenly there was darkness. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. The Force is trying to balance itself. And either way, yeah, so you're going to said- conflict. Yeah, exactly. So I think that it's kind of trying to show us how just like darkness ends in tragedy, light also ends in tragedy. And to be able to end all of this, we have to have balance. And I think it's more subtle. So I can't really, it's not very obvious, but I think that's what they were trying to mm-hmm. go with that. And they did the same thing with Luke too. That um, yeah. All of their heroes of the original trilogy. Um, but Han... But, like, Luke got to end his story with uh, happiness and, like, finding purpose, peace and purpose. But mm-hmm. Han just kind of died. Um, yeah. Or he didn't have any, he didn't have a happy ending at all. So I, yeah. I can He didn't have any resolution. Yeah. But I think his resolution will come when Ben is redeemed. When Kylo yeah. is redeemed. I think that sure. will be when that happens. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait till episode nine to really find out. But yeah. Number three. Feel about that. No, it's number four yet. Number four now. Oh, number four. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. Dude, it's nine o'clock for me here. I'm tired. Wow. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, number four. Four is Return of the Jedi. Um, for all the same reasons as Joy. Um, but especially, uh, the Ewoks were kind of annoying. Um. Oh my gosh. They're very childish pandering. They're not as bad as Jar Jar by any means, but they are kind of just so there cute. for like marketing. They are adorable. They were so cute, they they were so cute. So and they cute. were actually there for story reasons. Um, they were actually there for story reasons, even if they started out like as yeah. a bad character or as like only marketing. They ended up for good, kind of like Darth Maul, even though I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And if you're going to argue that, too, though, then you got to argue that the Porgs are pretty much there for just toys. Like, they did absolutely literally yeah. nothing to move the story forward at all, except for one gag with Chewbacca. That was it. That's so, so they, well, that's even more so of a flaw in The Last Jedi. Like, they had just pe- people there for story. Or not story, for just marketing and toys. Right. Yeah, well, but the Porgs were only there for, like, a couple scenes. Like, they weren't a big part of the movie. Well, the Ewoks were there, like, for half of the movie. And right. I don't know. I did, the Ewoks are just very childish to me. But like the, my main issue with that movie is the second Death Star because that actually annoyed me a lot more than in Episode Seven because it's if you take it in context, this is literally the third movie that you've ever that they've ever made in the Star Wars universe, and they're already recycling plot lines. So that annoyed me a lot. That, yeah, that makes sense. That annoyed me, and and um. In The Force Awakens, I think it was always going to be they had to rehash the originals to get original fans to be to like it. They were, yeah, were always going to have to. And I think they were able to balance a new plot with old things pretty well. Uh, yeah. But it does, it does annoy me in both movies, but it annoys me more in Return of the Jedi than it does in The Force Awakens, just because we were only three movies in. I'm glad we're not part of the Ben Shapiro sect of Star Wars fans. <laughs> like, we don't only like the original trilogy and nothing else. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. silly. Like, you gotta be able to either take the story as a whole or just don't. Right. Yeah. It's I like think... taking the middle chapters out of a book and just liking those middle chapters. <laughs> like, what the heck? Yeah. And exactly. Now you can argue that, like, on an objective level, the prequels are badly done. And I agree with that to a degree. But you can't honestly say that they're like the worst movies in the world. That's I think that no. that that people who say that are blinded by nostalgia. Yeah. Okay. And I also don't get so. I, okay, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but I felt like it was worth saying. I was listening to your podcast episode about the CGI. You forgot to mention yeah. that some of the CGI in the movies did age well. Some of the CGI in the prequels did age well. Yeah, that's true. Some of it is. Yeah, there is Revenge some CGI. Sith, that, yeah. Revenge of the Sith has mostly fine CGI. And the, the, that scene where Dooku pushes the platform onto Obi Wan. Oh my is, goodness! Yeah, no. But, but yeah, the but, Revenge of the Sith is definitely the best because they've but, they'd practice for three movies. Right, and but if you if you look <laughs> if you look at how far they came since like Jar Jar the Jar Jar days, like Grievous is a fully CGI character, and he and I can. Yeah. It's hard to tell unless you're looking for it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd be biased. Look pretty real. Yeah, yeah. and I thought that most... Do you know that all the clones were CGI in that movie? There wasn't a single clone that was actually, like, human. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, but Return of the Jedi is also... um, the scene with Luke, uh, Darth Vader, and Palpatine is one of the best scenes in all of Star Wars. It is amazing. It is amazing. I could... Yeah. Yes. It's just... I cannot overstate how amazing that scene is. It's, it's yeah. really good. The whole sequence on the Death Star between them yeah. is just amazingly done. They did it's a just... fabulous job showing characters. It's the first time that Palpatine was ever introduced to the world, like, before the prequel right. phase. And, and they, and did, they did it so well. Yeah. And then also, like, the fight scenes, even if they weren't as, 
like energy has that <laughs> didn't have as much energy as in the um, new trilogy or the prequels, they still were pretty darn well choreographed. And it was yeah. just really impressive looking at in the spaceships. I'm always impressed looking at those spaceship battles, like especially for just doing it completely with miniature models. Right. That yeah. was amazing. There's also the fact that so do you do you guys want to know why the original trilogy lightsaber duels look so clunky? I was actually reading about this the other day. So Lucas's original idea for the lightsabers were that they were to be like super heavy. And so, like, obviously, if you have a heavy lightsaber, you can't go swinging it about unless you're, yeah. you're like, grievous yeah. hands or something like that. So, it, uh, eventually, he relaxed his view on this, and now, like, he had, just for the cool cool stuff in the prequels. But that's oh. why the original trilogy battles look so clunky, because the lightsabers were, were meant to be, at first, super heavy. And so, obviously, it's hard to do, like, cool moves like Anakin and Obi-Wan on Mustafar if your lightsaber is, like, super darn heavy. That that actually makes the line where like Obi Wan's like it's an elegant weapon, kind of funny because if it's super heavy, how is it elegant? Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Obi-Wan's that. Obi Wan's just too sophisticated. <laughs> okay, so okay. I think we all have four Return of the Jedi. Um, I know yeah. I have Jenny and I do, and Joy, you said you oh, did. I have, I have it as the, I have it as the fifth one. Uh, oh, I was having on number five four. and a new hope as number four. Um, oh, okay. Are we ready to move on to number three? Sure. Yeah. So three for me is the Force Awakens. Oh. Um, I almost had the Force Awakens be number two, but then I just I just couldn't do have it be number two. Um, right. because I just realized that the nostalgia, uh, pandering was just a little bit too much for me yeah. to have it That's so why high. I, yeah. And like my friend. I was watching the movies with my friend, and she doesn't have any nostalgia for the movies, really, besides, like, Leia has a, uh, Leia wears the slave outfit, that's basically all that she remembers of the movies at all, so, and, like, she just is like, what is up with this obsession with Luke? I don't understand it, and I get that, like, I love Luke, obviously, but they kind of just shove it over, you just bang it over your head just a little bit too much. For me to put yeah. it at number two. But I think that The Force Awakens has an amazing reintroduction to the universe. And it never should have been, like, it was never, um, after the prequels, it, the, this movie should have never existed. Because George Lucas wasn't going to make any more movies. But it does. And J.J. Abrams did something that's, like, amazing. Because he made a good movie that pleased most fans. Um, and it set up a... A trilogy and it set up these characters that are really well thought out really um yeah and have really good set up like basis to explore all sorts of different things you could do whatever you want with the force awakens like there's so many different possibilities and it hyped up the franchise all so much after the force awakens people were talking about it for all the two years until the last jedi people were still talking about everything that happened in that movie so i think that Overall, The Force Awakens was really good. Yeah. Um, especially for what it had to do. Yeah. It had an impossible task, and it did really good at achieving it. Yeah, I had... I I have The Force Awakens as number two, just because the... I thought that the cinema... So it was a very close tie for number two between The Empire Strikes Back and The Force Awakens. 
but I think that the cinematography on The Force Awakens is better than The Empire Strikes Back. Now, obviously, this is personal bias. You gotta take into account that The Empire Strikes Back was made, like, many, many, many years before The Force Awakens. Yeah. So, obviously, but we're ranking these movies based on personal bias. So, The Force Awakens, yeah. for me, is number two, and Empire Strikes Back is number three, even though I know it's objectively, like, the best Star Wars movie in the franchise. Uh -huh. The reason it's not Empire Strikes Back isn't number two for me is that besides the I Am Your Father reveal, you have to argue that there's not a whole lot that goes on in that movie. I, it's mainly, like, the Job of the Hut subplot that's going on besides the I Am Your Father business. And other than that, there's not a whole lot going on. Now, I don't know how, like, it's considered the best Star Wars movie in spite of this. And we're not really, I, I'm not sure why. It just is. It's just, it's probably because of the I Am Your Father reveal, I think. I yeah, I, I I agree with some of that, yeah. Uh, for number three, I have Revenge of the Sith. Um, the downfall of Anakin was pretty well played out. Yes! Um, fight, the fight choreography was amazing. Um, I keep harping on that, but it was just, it's just really impressive every time I watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah. how the little details they added in, like how Padme's heartbeat ends when, uh, right before Anakin's begins in his new suit, that was really impressive. But the corny dialogue, especially in the love scenes, that always brings it down for me. Like, and then the oh, whole, man. the whole bit with, um, his nightmares. I, I, yeah, the whole yeah. bit with his nightmares and then the that thing between him and Padme. It, it just, it's like, oh my so gosh, they, they needed so, so many more edits. The issue with that scene is that it makes sense what she's saying. She's like, so love has blinded you. And it just seems so, the wording is just clunky, if that yeah. makes sense. It reads like the first draft of a romance novel. It reads like, it reads like my, it, as an analogy, and this is kind of an insult to Revenge of the Sith, but I'm going to harp on my favorite movie. Um, it sounds like the... <laughs> It sounds like the love scenes in my Evernote proto TL, the last Kaimali. Like pre t pre TLQ, I was writing uh, a bunch of random love scenes for the for uh, Kaiman and Ronderu on Evernote, and it's the dialogue sounded like that. <laughs> so that wasn't yeah. a good thing. That's my point. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think I think the prequels would have just been so much better if George Lucas had gotten someone. To just edit all of his scripts. Right, especially since he yes. said the script is like his least favorite part of doing the movie and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he, hate, he hated writing. That was his least favorite part. So why wouldn't he have someone help him do that? I don't, right. I don't understand why he wouldn't do that if it was his least favorite part. Right. Like he could still write the first draft or even like the third draft or whatever, but have someone edit it. So that way just exactly. like the cringy dialogue like this is would the be general done. idea, you refine it and stuff like that. Yeah. I think... I think or at least, like, edit, if nothing else, just to have him at least edit the um, conversations, the dialogue, yeah. so it's more manageable yeah. and makes more sense. Like, yeah. really, it was so, it's just so confusing and so old-timey. And, like, first, like you said, the first draft of a, of, like, a new writer's love story. It just was, right. it was awful. They're awful. Yeah. I should, I... On to that topic, this is total. this is off, completely off topic, but I should send you that Evernote draft to you guys so you can see just how horrible it was no, but yeah. uh, uh, back onto the topic <laughs> yeah i understand the criticisms toward revenge of the sith it's just that a lot of them to me are forgivable first off because i'm so used to bad writing in the prequels that i just kind of don't notice it anymore 
Yeah. In most cases, yeah. like, like the line of unlimited power. That that line was so bad that I that I so cringe at it. But I'm like numb to the yeah. cringe prequels by now. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah that <laughs> so, number two. Number uh, two. Yeah. My number two is The Empire Strikes Back because oh, um, yeah. that movie, it expands on the universe in ways that are not expected from A New Hope, but also like make perfect sense. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of forced world building. Uh, the romance between Han and Leia is just beautiful. And there is not a moment in that movie where I am bored. Like A New Hope, things are kind of dragged out. A little bit and I just get kind of a little bit bored but Empire Strikes Back I'm fully engaged the entire time I'm never bored and it doesn't even matter how slow the scene is I just am completely engrossed in what's going on and yeah yeah. and the I'm your father moment is actually kind of cringy to me because I just I'd already been spoiled for that and then like Luke just like screams no as if it's the (laughs) whole Which it is the Luke's worst delivery of that line is probably yeah. the worst delivery in the whole saga. At least uh, Ian McDermott, whenever you had that horrible line from Palpatine, he delivered it well. You know, I gotta disagree yeah. with that because he well, Luke is finding out here that his father is like the biggest mass murderer in the galaxy, and he does not have any emotional connection to this man. He's been thinking of this man as his enemy, and he's he just had tortured his um great friend or i get hers two great friends at this point and so like why why would you be so ecstatic or anything but angry shocked betrayed by having this man be your father like i think yeah. that delivery of the line was perfect just no, because but, of the context well no it's not so much the it's not so much the emotions going on it's just the fact that I don't know, I have the, this thing, and maybe it's not realistic for me on a writing level or on, like, a screen or, like, on a movie-making level, but I have this thing where anytime, like, a character's voice breaks whenever they're screaming, I just want to cringe, no matter how horrible the thing they're screaming about is. I don't know whether that's just me or whether that's an understandable thing, but the the way that Luke basically just screams like a wild animal or like he's being stabbed in the gut or something also his facial expression but that's that may be because of the surgery that he had to have on his face before yeah. the between the movies i don't know but that that was just something that kind of took me out of the moment i do think that it, i do feel bad for Luke in that case because if if i found out that that guy was my dad i would be kind of mad too <laughs> I think I think it makes sense why he would scream no. It's just a little bit, just the delivery of it was a little bit over the top to me. Just like the tiniest, right. just by the tiniest bit. And right. Like, but I don't think that it was wrong for him to be angry or anything. Cause oh, of obviously, course. Obviously, yeah. he's going to be very mad. And, very and then also, can we just talk about how well Bespin was done? That was amazing. It was really Bespin amazing. Was good. Yeah, Bespin was good. Yeah. It sets it up as like a as this, um like relaxation port, even though you hadn't seen hardly any of the city. I don't know. I was just always really impressed by that world building. All right, and number one. That was a bad <laughs> drum roll. <laughs> uh, okay, so my number one is the Last Jedi, of course. My oh. number one is A New Hope. And my number one is Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> 
very different number ones not yeah. at all right. <laughs> okay so let me explain what i liked about revenge of the sith even though i've already gone on like a tirade about how what i like about revenge of the sith first okay. off anakin's story is amazing and i don't care what anybody says about it especially in the context of clone wars revenge of the sith makes me cry every time i watch it no matter how cringy the lines are the opera scene the scene where helps us sh- telling Anakin about Darth Plagueis the Wise, that's one of the best written scenes in the whole saga, in my opinion. It was just really well done, and it showed, like, a turning point in Anakin's character. It was really well done, in my opinion. Also, I, I don't know, this is kind of, I don't know why I like this so much, but the scene where he's talking to Padme about how their baby is a blessing, I always found that really heartwarming and cute. It's just a minor thing. Mm-hmm. Also, the 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 part I like the best is actually the beginning. The opening scene is super epic, and then and then um, and then additionally, my three favorite characters sassing each other on the on the deck of the Invisible Hand: Grievous, Anakin, and Obi Wan. Yeah, that part was that part was always really fun to watch. Um, you know, and then the just the emotional connection. I do have a few criticisms on it, just like on a plot level, though. As I mentioned before, there's a lot going on at that point. They didn't try to condense some of the stories in it a bit, especially yeah. the beginning. Obviously, the cringy lines and the time gap and stuff. But there's just one thing about it that bugged me. I don't know if it bugs you guys because you guys have probably seen this scene a thousand times. I don't get why they had to show us Anakin burning. And I, I know that p- people, most people probably don't have a problem with this, and it might be because I was never allowed to watch that growing up. I'm actually still not allowed to watch that. I, ha- I saw it because of the fandom. <laughs> um, but I felt like showing him burning was a little bit too dark for a Star Wars movie, but that just, that just might be personal bias. Um, I also think that the, there was a plot hole I feel like, remember Leia in Return of the Jedi saying she remembered her mother, and then but Padme died yeah. in childbirth? People will try to explain that away by saying she could sense her mother through the Force and stuff. I don't really like that explanation. I think that Padme should have been, should have lived, and what what should have happened is she should have been separated from Luke because she understands, like, you know, the Empire, the Emperor's gonna find them if, if we mm-hmm. keep both together. Um, so she raised Leia for a few years on, like, Alderaan or something with ba- with the space dad, Bale, and Brihat, and then whenever she died, then she died a few years later, and then they gave Leia to Bale and Brihat. Um, yeah. That's the, only issue with, like. the only issue with that is that I really liked her, but I'm also conflicted on this, because I really liked her funeral scene. I I think her outfit was gorgeous, and the scene carried a lot of sad airs to it. I also... I also felt like the pendant she had that Anakin made for her when they when they were little, that kind of carried thematic value because it showed that Anakin Skywalker died with Padme. And yeah. so I thought that was really powerful. Um, so I'm kind of conflicted on this. I feel like that was a plot hole, but I also liked what came out of that plot hole. So I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about the Luke and Leia twist because I just think that it's yeah. like out of nowhere and stupid. But what they did with it later on I'm willing to forgive it, even right. though it was so dumb when it when it happened at first. But then, <laughs> yeah, I, that I was one of the problems with Return of the Jedi. I just forgot to mention the whole the whole yeah. like, remember her mother thing, and then the retconning with um 
them becoming twins because that was never the original plan the original plan is they're going to make another trilogy and then luke was going to go meet his sister who was training with the jedi master at the other end of the galaxy and so like with it with that not following through like the actors didn't want to renew their contracts um (laughs) they had they had promised a sister and so like oh shoot now we have one other girl in the galaxy who has been introduced (laughs) and like we have to get him a sister Okay, well, now you're going to be a sister. After they, and it just makes it awkward with the kiss and Emperor Strikes Back. Right? Like, there's a total love triangle between the two of them, like the whole entire time. Yeah, exactly. That was the point. That was the original plan. And then they're like, oh, shoot. Well, uh, okay, this is what's going to happen now. That was just the end. Even in uh, The Emperor Strikes Back, at the end of that movie, like, they're like, they don't, like, do anything at the very end, I think. Well, I think, actually, that she does kiss him, like, twice, and then pressure back, and one of them is, like, towards the end of the movie. But it's, like, a split-second thing where, like, you would miss it if you're not paying attention. Yeah. Um, but, but, like, it's not, the that's end, not on the lips. Like, hugging just each on other. Oh, okay. They're, like, hugging each other, and, like, it just, I don't know, it's, like, the whole entire time, it just seems very romantic, and it's very strange. Right. It's just very, it it's, strange. Uh, yeah. I because I I had already gone into the original. Tr- it doesn't bother me as much. I went into the original trilogy already knowing like the familial connection between Luke, Leia, and Vader because who mm-hmm. hasn't spoiled for that in the saga? <laughs> but, yeah, because I was six when I watched for me, it. The worst retconning is for me. The worst retconning is the one where it's so obvious in Revenge of the Sith that Grievous and Obi Wan have never met before, and they're only now fighting. Like my favorite example of this, it's so funny in the context of Clone Wars, is whenever Grievous flicks off his cloak and goes, and goes, "You fool! I've been training your Jedi arts by Count Dooku." And I just imagine Obi Wan going, "Um, we've met before." <laughs> That would be hilarious. It's it's so badly done, but it's so funny at the same time. Everyone's like, I am well aware that you're trained. We've literally fought each other like five times at this point. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, and I'm like, I I hate this retconning, but it also it I will be willing to forgive it because it brought about like one of my like my favorite rivalry in all of Star Wars in the Clone Wars. It's, the the rivalry is so gorgeous in the Clone Wars that I'm willing to forgive it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of retconning is like that, where it's like so dumb, but then like they do something with it that's kind of worth the it. Ret- yeah, and then like the other retconning is actually from Legends, but it still annoys the crap out of me. It's the, it's the one where they made Ben Elias sans Scar Kalish. That was like one of the worst decisions on the parts of those writers ever. Um, anybody, anybody who has drawn a Kalish before knows that that he doesn't look anything like them, but they chose to retcon him as that anyway. And the thing is that, unlike the other retconnings in which it brought about good in the midst of bad, this brings about no good in the midst of bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, my favorite part with um with a New Hope, uh, it's just a timeless original. Um. It was the introduction to the saga for so many people, including myself. And I just had very uh, a bunch of special memories re- um, regarding this movie. Um, yeah. Also, the special effects hold up very well today, uh, especially so. since they didn't try to push the limits with uh, CGI or anything. They <laughs> like worked with the, the cameras. Movie. They worked with the cameras and they built models, and it's just very impressive. Um, also, yeah. before this point, science fiction was kind of like a nerdy thing, like 
only the <laughs> nerds with like geek with glasses and broken glasses and stuff would any do ever do anything with science fiction. And it made it relatable for so many people and turned it to be something more than a Dr. Frankenstein. Um, also, Princess yeah. Leia, she is just so darn cool in this movie. Yeah, like, totally. Also in, also in like the other two movies, but in this movie, it's just really impressive. Like yeah. Darth Vader can't break her with the Force. Like he needs to use drugs to make her weaker. Like yeah. I just I just find that so impressive. And then also, yeah. um, just <laughs> taking control of the situation after she's just been um, released from prison by Han and Luke. Like that was really pretty darn cool. And yeah. then, and then, you know, those drugs—they don't—they didn't even work on her. Exactly. Not even with that did she even like. And like, uh, there's that book, the, um, the Princess, the Scoundrel, and the Farm Boy. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that one yet. It has the uh, that whole scene with Darth Vader when he like gives her the truth serum, and it is like, it's crazy. I that book is so good. And the thing is, she's supposed to be, like, 19. Like, what 19-year-old girl? That is just so, like, that is so darn cool. Like, people say that we need more strong female figures. No, you didn't. You had Princess Leia even back then, and you're just, like, completely ignoring it. I don't know. Yeah, and the thing with with Princess Leia is that she's really inspiring to girls, and she's very, she's a very, obviously, she's very feminine, despite, like, being a total, a total savage throughout the movies. Exactly. Um, you can, be feminine, uh, you can still, be feminine and still, still like be a strong character. Yeah, and she takes after her she takes after her mother in that. And like that's I think that, that the retconning with Padme being like a like a basically a total savage in a gown, that that was a really cool retconning, I think, because it set up Leia's character as taking after her mother in that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think want, that I think I that want, Padme and uh Leia were both awesome, but Leia more so because you know Padme's doing her senating senator senating senating senator stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't actually say that Padme was never a savage. Like she completely was. She oh, of uh, course. She, she of had course. completely planned an attack on a captured city of her own. I mean, right. Fourteen like, year old girl. That's crazy. Right. And, yeah. I mean, and she kind of was color. copying Leia at this point, but. But it makes sense because Leia's her daughter, and you're gonna take after your, you're gonna, you know, your daughter's gonna take after you in some ways. Yeah. And like all of Star Wars is copying Star Wars. It seems like. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Star Wars has been retconning literally since like every movie ever. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't think whenever people are like, but they retcon. Even bad retconnings usually have good results. I say usually because sometimes they do not. Even if they're horrible, horrible retconnings like Luke and Leia or Grievous and Obi Wan, <laughs> yeah, like the two the two trademarks of Star Wars are retconning and uh, ripping off Star Wars. Star Wars right. ripping off Star Wars, <laughs> right? <laughs> Star Wars like invented the retconning. Okay, so I have the Last Jedi as my number one for a lot of reasons. I could go on forever about the Last Jedi. But The Last Jedi does so many different things that are very controversial, but to me, make total sense in the context of Star Wars. Um. And it has, it has a lot of, I do agree that it has issues like um, uh, the whole Canto Bite scene. I still don't really like that part of the movie at all, especially compared to the rest of it. But um, Ray, the stuff Ray, stuff, good. The Ray, Kylo Luke stuff is the best stuff in all of Star Wars, in my opinion. 
and I am very biased because I love the sequel trilogy more than any of the other movies. Sure. But um, uh, the whole movie, when I saw it in theaters, I was literally like mind blown the entire time. Like I was just like, I need to like sit in my room for an hour and just think about what just happened because everything <laughs> I've known about Star Wars is so it it just like blew my mind. And I was like, I remember watching it and I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Or I would spoil my sisters because my sisters didn't get to go see it at the same time as me. So I was just like talking to my mom as quietly as I could for like an hour after I saw the movie just about everything that had happened. And Dude, my mom um, wouldn't do that. My mom would be like, go off and talk to your internet junkies about No. Yeah. My mom <laughs> listens to me rant about things so much. She's amazing. I'm so that way. She's just like mom. Anyway, go on. <laughs> um so, like, The Force Awakens tried to capture um, the essence of Star Wars through nostalgia, but it didn't really quite work for me. But The Last Jedi, somehow it just captures, like, the mood, the, like, the, the, the tone moment. of Star Wars in a way that none of the other, that the prequels and The, um, the Force Awakens weren't able to do. I don't really know exactly what it is about it. It just, there's something about The Last Jedi that's very Star Wars to me. Yeah, it, and it, it's and it takes it takes ahead. the franchise into places that you wouldn't expect, but also make total sense because in the prequels, there's this idea of how the Jedi weren't as good as you might seem, and it's not sure. really like explored all the way um, as it could be. And like a lot of fans were like, some fans were like, "Oh, there's something new going on here," and other fans were like, "No, the Jedi were still good." And it's bad. You know, it's just very open up to interpretation. Um, But the sequels take that part of the prequels and they're like, yeah, the Jedi weren't very good either. Neither the Sith or the Jedi are good. There's something else that we need to find. And it just, I don't know, there's just something about The Last Jedi. All of the fight scenes are amazing. Um, Everything with Rey and Kylo is amazing (laughs) yeah Um, i think that the the nostalgic feel of the old star wars that we all grew up with is summarized or well not that you grew up with jenny but that we all know and love is summarized in the luke and leia kiss well not the luke kiss but the the kiss luke gave on leia's forehead and it kind of shows that that he loves her just as deeply as he did when they were young, but now it's, like, in the actual way he should, like, as a sibling. It always... I Okay, so I have this weird head... This is off-topic, but I have this weird headcanon where, um, where after Luke found out that Leia was his sister, he struggled with heartbreak for a while, because, you know, he, he was set up to love her before, as, like... Yeah. And I know that's a super weird headcanon to have, but I think it makes sense, you know what I it mean? It completely does. Yeah, yeah like he was, he had a crush, like a huge crush on her for the first two movies. <laughs> right, and so yeah. I think that that he struggled. I think that like in the time bef- between uh, Return of the Jedi and then The Force Awakens, possibly longer, we don't know. Uh, he struggled with like heart with like heartbreak and getting past that and finding purpose in loving her as a sister and not as like a wife or a girlfriend or whatever. And then yeah. like he, whenever he kisses her on the forehead, it just kind of. I just kind of think of it as, like, he's saying to her, I still love you very deeply, but it's, like, in the actual healthy way I should. So yeah. that carried more thematic value for me because of my headcanons about that. I don't know. Um, it's still a weird headcanon to have. I remember whenever I first told Jenny about it, she was like, why? Why does your <laughs> mind go there? 
yeah, I think that makes sense because, like, even right, um, right after Return of the Jedi, Luke like goes off into exile and like isn't even around his sister or Han. No, so, like, but that might have been part of why, because he like well, left right after that. According, like, in, in the aftermath series, he's not oh, around I, at all in the aftermath oh, series. That takes oh. place right after. Okay. It takes place during the year after, and Luke is not around at all like he's not in the series at all and i think part of it was that they're like we can't have luke until the last jedi there's no luke (laughs) that's his grand entrance but (laughs) i think that it's like um but yeah that might that might fit into it but i think the last jedi uh the the beginning of the movie is kind of uh clunky it has a lot of different plots going on but like you said yeah you were talking about braiding earlier and takes every single subplot and they all come together in the most epic moment of all cinema well, <laughs> when cinema. the strong two... statement there yeah right <laughs> it is okay. but when the when the lightsaber splits in half and holdo uh light speeds into the supremacy and all sound just cuts out right that's and a very silence it's like the climax yeah, um, that moment was a, and like everything came together. Every single plot thread in the entire movie was united in that moment. And yeah, I think yeah. that uh, it does. The movie does um, go on a little bit longer. Like it has a very long climax because there's so many different things that it's trying to do. Right. Because um, like you think that like when Holdo smashes into the supremacy. Then it's right. like almost over, but after that we ha- still have like a whole another half hour of movie time. Yeah, That's exactly. And I think that half hour is amazing and it's perfect yeah. and it should still be there. But I think the beginning of it was a, a little bit. Um, I think the movie could have been it better was a if it was a little bit somehow. My, yeah, my main issue with the beginning of the movie is that so you know how Pol Pol Poe and Hux are like. That are like the new rivalry of the sequel trilogy or something. Yeah, they're like, and, and you know, Poe's like the the new troll and <laughs> the new troll, and then Hux is like the one who's trying to keep up. You know, um, they're keeping up the they're creeping up the funny rivalry we saw in Clone Wars between Obi Wan and Grievous. Anyway, so yeah. the issue with that is that they built up the scene between like you know Hux and like the supremacy and the rebel fleet to be like really serious and stuff and then in the midst of all that you see poe trolling hux to death yeah i didn't like how they did hux to death. Funny, but that it, was really annoying it was funny but it took me out of the moment and I, yeah. we need we need humor in context and the, the thing about the clone wars especially the earlier seasons is that they were they did the Grievous and Obi Wan rivalry well because it was set up to be a lighthearted sort of mood in those episodes. You know yeah. what I mean. So I, I'm comparing and contrasting because these are obviously these to me they parallel each other and they're kind of similar. Yeah. I see um, what you're saying. I just, yeah, I, I'm just saying that I think that the first one was done far better because they had established the tone of the episode in the first place. Yeah. Well, I think. Well, a lot of people would get mad about how Hux is kind of like the laughing stock of Last Jedi, but you gotta like in. I don't care about Hux. Awakens, yeah, and but in the Force Awakens, they did a lot of shots of him like doing that crazy speech, 
and they purposely chose the one where he was going insane about it. He's like spitting and like being yeah. he's like being crazy and they specifically chose that take of it. So I think the yeah. plan from the beginning was that Hux is kind of a kind Hux of a little bit of a joke. And I he's think, kind of crazy. Yeah, I think that uh Poe and Hux having that uh humorous like scene was a wrong opening. Yeah, it was a really bad opening for the movie. Because especially with the trailers that they had, it was all very serious. This is going to be the dark middle chapter. And then all of a sudden, it's, oh, we're all going to laugh our heads off at this funny thing that's going on. This is the opening scene. It's it it sets up. Yeah, it does (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Um, And like, like, he's actually saying like hugs, like I'm going to hug you. Oh my gosh! It's, yeah. I just, just saw that trollery was just a little cringy as well. Like hugs. It's just like I'm just like what? Yeah. The crap! What the crap is going on in the scene? Yeah, oh. I think that it was, it was a fun. Like it would be fine to be like in. I think it's fine to have that in canon, like that that oh, scene. Sure. But I think it's wrong to open up the movie that way. I think it was the wrong way to set up the tone of the story. Yeah. 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 Um. And you don't see, you don't see, and I think that, again, comparing and contrasting this to the Grievous and Obi-Wan rivalry in the prequels, I think that they, obviously this is a retconning and stuff like that since Clone Wars came after Revenge of the Sith, but they took a right move in having Obi-Wan and Grievous trolling each other. Like, they took that down a notch in Revenge of the Sith because the mood was obviously supposed to be much more dark than in Clone Wars, you know? Yeah. So, I think that even though... Obviously, their rivalry wasn't, like, established until the Clone Wars because they they were never supposed to meet in the first place. But I think that that was a right move that they took in Revenge of the Sith to tone down the trolling just a bit because this is a serious moment. You do see some hints of it, like how they greet each other as old friends even though they they secretly want to chop each other's heads off, you know? So, yeah. That's that's just... It's just a comparing and contrasting thing, I think. Yeah. I think um, Hux can still be a very interesting character, even though he um, he's kind of dr- kind of a joke. He's kind of a joke, but I think he can. He's still a very interesting character because he's been abused by like everyone, and he's just trying oh. to be. He wants to be the big gut head at the top of the place. He wants to have no one in charge of him anymore. But at the same oh, time, so that's he why he hates Kylo. Kylo yeah, he hates Kylo with a passion because he Hux. <laughs> Huck likes technology and he absolutely despises the force. So, and yeah. like Kylo thinks that Hux is a incompetent fool. So they both like hate each other so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that in Absolutely. episode nine, that could be like both hilarious and super interesting. And I yeah. want Hux to hold like a coup and just like overthrow Kylo Ren or at least try anyway. That's interesting. That would um, be very interesting to me. Yeah. It's. It's just like I I like again I like the rivalries I think that rivalries can really enrich the story, and they make they give like a lighthearted counteraction to like the darkness within and stuff like that I don't know, but again you got to think about tone and stuff like that whenever you're conveying that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that the Last Jedi sometimes does have some tonal problems because yeah. there's like these jokes and you're like well. This is supposed to be a serious moment. Why is there right? <laughs> yeah, that was that was a really big issue with that movie I, that oh, they just yeah. couldn't figure out the tone. The this tone is, and the pacing were off 
Yeah, and related yeah. to the related to tone, I was just thinking about the scene on the invisible hand. You know how I mentioned earlier that one of my favorite parts of Revenge of the Sith is my three favorite characters trolling each other on the bridge. Um, I think that the 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 thing with that scene that kind of makes it so that I kind of forgive it for like the jokes in the midst of a kind of a serious situation. First off, the tone's already been established to be lighthearted. Anakin and Obi Wan joke about their mission like the entire way through. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think that Anakin's line to Grievous, you're shorter than I expected that line, it kind of sets up as, it sets him up as kind of cocky. And so I think that that was both funny and it added to his character. Then, then of course, there's Obi-Wan saying, basically saying, don't upset him, that's my job, and stuff like that. So, Yeah. Yeah. Wait, do, wait a second, I'm the one who's supposed to be trolling him, not you. <laughs> Anyway. Oh my goodness. I know like Obi-Wan is always telling Anakin to stop doing things. And I'm like, you literally <laughs> do that all the time, Obi-Wan. What are you talking Obi-Wan. about? Okay, Obi-Wan's greatest feat in life was convincing everyone that Anakin was the crazy one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and meanwhile, and meanwhile, he's the one who's like, he's the one who's like, I'm dealing with the a seven-foot tall Duranium Jedi killer who's like almost all metal. I'm going to go and kick him in the shin. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, did we get through all the movies then? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Hey, awesome. Yeah. yeah. The only ones we didn't we didn't talk about the uh Rogue the One series. Yeah. yeah. I, Rogue One. I only Rogue saw Rogue One and Solo, one. right? Yeah, I've only seen those movies once and yeah, same here. It's like okay to me. Huh. I, yeah, Sola was a little confusing at the end to me. I liked yeah. Rogue, so I Rogue One to me like um, most like the Last Jedi was half good and half bad to me. I thought the cinematography was really well done, and I really liked the shots and the sequences and stuff. I also thought the story, while confusing and you have to pay really close attention to understand the story and stuff, which you shouldn't have to do. Um, the story was kind of um, the pacing, or not the pacing, but it seemed confusing. But the story was good. It was essentially about a girl whose father joined the Empire. He committed evil to save to, for a necessary cause. And it created kind of some things to think about. Like, is it worth it to join an evil force in order to save, like, in order to save who or what you, who and or what you love? Um, that's actually... Uh, that's actually kind of a thing in what I'm planning for the third book in my TLQ trilogy as of now. Obviously, I haven't even written the second book yet. Uh, Kwame's adopted father joins the joins the Empire to protect her from Palpatine because she's Force-sensitive. So, But anyway, I thought the Rogue One's story posed a lot of interesting questions and stuff like that. The, o- the problem was the characters. And especially Jin, I think that Jin had a lot of pot- potential, but her character just seemed all over the place. And maybe that was because of the director change, like at the last minute. Uh, they like but, changed, They had to like reshoot like half the movie or something, because like none yeah. of the, like pretty much all of the footage in the trailers did not make it into the movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I didn't like Jin's character. I felt like it was hard to connect to her. 
Um, she seemed to be that sort of person that stayed out of politics, but then she she was also involved in politics with this extremist and stuff like that. Event. I do think that she had a character arc, though, even though her character was kind of a little bit all over the place. Um, she went from being that the sort of person who would who stays out of politics and never and wouldn't sacrifice herself for the rebellion. She turns, she eventually, once she realizes what her father sacrificed, she eventually goes forth with courage and, you know, eventually save, like, indirectly saves the entire galaxy. So I thought that that, that her arc was good, it's just her character was not. Uh, the rest of the characters I was really confused by, and I don't get these people making Rogue One headcanons, because while I love headcanons for, like, pretty much any Star Wars character... Um, the Rogue One people are the only ones I can't connect to the headcanons. And maybe this is yeah. a problem. Maybe this is the yeah. problem with me. No, I, I like headcanons, and I'm like, wait, where do you get this from? I didn't, like, see any character in these people. Like, right. I don't know, I connected any of them in a way, and then they're just, like, dead. And it was, yeah. that movie, I think it's very much a, um, a hardcore fans movie, because when I first watched yeah. it, like, I understood the universe pretty well by that point, because I'd seen all the movies but at the same time I just didn't really understand what was going on and like we were planet hopping and I'm like I don't know what any of these places are or what their significance is or why we're going here what the heck exactly Rogue One was confusing um the character yeah that the issue with it was the characters although I do think that uh they did a good job with making Krennic intimidating he was kind he was kind of a pansy at some points but that was because those times were whenever he was in front of Lord Vader so Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vader makes everybody in the galaxy look like a pansy except for Palpatine. <laughs> That's so true, though. <laughs> so, that that was the thing with Rogue One for me. Solo was also a little confusing, but I liked Han's character a lot more, although I didn't like his arc. I didn't... I, yeah. found, I found it stupid. I, and then, I liked the movie until the very end, and I think that they just, like, fell flat on their face because they're... I, I don't know. It was just very strange how it ended because he got betrayed by literally everyone he ever loved. And then he's just like, eh, whatever. Let's go. And the Darth Maul cameo should have never been put into that dang movie. <laughs> never. Yeah. It makes no sense to anybody who hasn't seen Clone Wars. And it seems almost insulting to people who haven't seen Clone Wars because they're saying stuff like, well, if you watch Clone Wars, you would know that this guy survived. And I'm like, well, not everybody has. Not everybody delves yeah. into the expanded universe. And that's a flaw on the movie's part, not on the people who are watching it. So I felt like that was kind of insulting yeah. to like casual fans and stuff. But it just seemed like a, it was like a setup to a trilogy or something. Like they're going to do more movies, but I don't think that's going to happen now because it like failed. Yeah. And, but I did think that there was some darker stuff in it that I actually found kind of interesting. And it kind of gave me. Like, the knowledge that this dark stuff is in there kind of gave yeah. me reassurance whenever I was writing the dark stuff in The Last Kaimali, especially dealing with Rondetu's past. Like, with Kira, Kira, like, it's implying that she was sold, uh, that she was sold as, like, a sex slave to this, to this sicko and stuff like that. Or some sort of prostitute or something. And yeah. I'm not going too deep in Stoli territory here. I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's not really, that's, like, not that much of a spoiler, though, because that's, yeah. like, happening to the movie. It's kind of implied, but... In yeah, the it's implied, stuff. but it's not, obviously, nothing is shown. This is Star Wars, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think... It kind of gave me 
clearance, I guess. Although, obviously, in in the last Kamali case, I wouldn't go any further than canon Star Wars would, you know? Yeah. But yeah. It, that, that's all in the past in the last Kaimali, anyway. But that's kind of that's kind of my thought, my brief thoughts on Solo and Rogue One. I've only seen Solo once. I've seen Rogue One a few times. I like Rogue One mainly because of its cinematography. I think the cinematography was gorgeous. I also loved the Vader scene at the end. I think everybody loved that. Um, yeah. Although, no. that's like... That's I think that that's dark. Uh, that's actually darker than Revenge of the Sith, and I I didn't. Yeah, that's it pretty. It was pretty dark. Because like, Revenge yeah. of the Sith is like the dark. dark. Revenge of the Sith <laughs> is like the darkest of the Star Wars films. But then the Vader scene at the end of Rogue One. The the most disturbing thing was whenever his lightsaber drilled through the doorway, and whenever the door opens, you see that it like drilled through a rebel's chest and stuff like that, and it, it was yeah. just made me sick and stuff like that. Um, well, and then also, like, when, in the theater, when I was watching it, people started cheering. I mean, like, I get that it's Vader, <laughs> Vader's cool, but, like, I don't understand the cheering that. as people are dying. Like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Yeah, he's, he's like, it might be, like, respect, super... you know? Yeah, it's, like, he is, like, the best villain ever, but that doesn't mean that when he kills people, right. that's a good thing, and you should be cheering it on. Yeah. Right. Don't it's understand like, but it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think we're pretty all in consensus on those movies. Right. Yeah. They're just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a, a fun romp through the galaxy, but it's not really anything like worth like dissecting or whatever. You're right. Outside yeah. of like stuff connected to Ben Solo, because there's some stuff um, with that, because there's the, the dice in The Last Jedi come up in Solo like a hundred times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're in it a lot. So I think, like, besides that, though, there's really not very much to explore. Yeah, I don't really know my opinions on Rogue One very well, though, because I've only seen it once, and it was right when I was a brand new Star Wars fan. And it's yeah, so. I think that I agree with your opinions about Rogue One, though. I think that my overall opinion on Rogue One is that it was a good movie, but they could have done the characters better. Kind of like how I view the prequels. I think that Anakin could have been, they could have cut back on the whininess and shown more of his relationship with Obi-Wan. Something I always... Something that I criticize the prequels for and kind of the sequels too, but not as much, is that there's so much of a time gap that it's kind of hard to connect to the main characters. So, like, in episode one, Anakin's, like, nine years old or something like that. Episode two, he's 19. Episode three, he's 20... He's 22, a dad and the baby on the way. You know what I mean? And so you see him through these stages of development, but you don't see like, what's between in the movies. Now, this could have been fixed if they had made it, like, six movies instead of three, but they chose not to do that, and, you know, we can't really complain about it now. But it's just, if they had done more movies, then they could have shown Anakin's development, too. Because I think having him be nine and then 19 and then 22 is fine if you show what's going on in between because it makes the character change less jarring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably everything then, right? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about good. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts if you enjoyed the show. The opening theme, Heroic Adventure, is by Raphael Crux and is under the public domain. Audio was edited by Jenny Raylan. You can email us at jotnapod at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions. That's J-O-T-N-A-P-O-D 
at gmail.com. This has been Jenny, Maria, and Joy. Once again, thanks for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you. It's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! <laughs>